Congratulations! You found it! The most inappropriate book club you never knew you were missing! Starring the original book divas Martha Steele and Vonnie Golden. And also featuring Pat Greiner. She has the head of an English major and the heart of a sci-fi nerd. These people are passionate about books. Maybe a little too passionate. Plotting world domination one book at a time, they are three book girls! There's a silver lining to that trip. So on the way back, I had to fly American, which I don't like because I always have to change planes. So I'm sitting in the airport in Bismarck and I'm looking around at all the people. And I'm a terrible person. Let's just get that out of the way right now. I'm a terrible person. And I'm sitting there and I'm texting Vani. And I'm like, oh my God, please don't make me have to sit next to this old dude with a chihuahua in a bag on his lap. I don't want to sit next to this guy. And then there's a lady behind me, a really, really strong perfume. I'm like, it's probably going to be strong perfume lady or this other guy over here. And this lady sits down with me. It turns out that I sat next to the only liberal or one of the only liberals in North Dakota. It was just so. And you were you were both fleeing. We were right. She's fleeing not a... the, fleeing the state. Yeah. She, well, she she was going to visit her son, who's in the Navy or something in Virginia. But it was really hilarious that I just happened to sit next to this woman. In a lot of ways, she reminded me of myself. We had the best conversation, you guys, and that's the reason that the podcast was late. Because I had almost finished it. And my intention was to finish it while I was on the plane. Because you don't need an internet connection, you know, to, to work on Yeah, it. to edit. Yeah. Yeah. And I, could, I, didn't, I didn't even take my laptop out of the bag. We talked the entire two hours that flight went. Have you ever <laughs> spoken to a stranger for two hours? I don't think I ever have in my entire life. She was awesome, though. Hi, Christy. Hi. I said I was going to shout you out. Cool. I had a great moment last night about, it was about quarter after six. And I went, Friday night, it's quarter after six, and I am not fighting with my hair. (laughs) Really, it's the one thing I don't miss about that show. We had a a great time doing that show. The only thing was 40 minutes to do my hair every night. (laughs) Another 20 or 25 for the makeup, and then (laughs) you had to do those what they called victory rolls from uh, the 40s, where they would have those rolls of hair along oh, the edge of the yeah, hairline. Yeah. And so much hairspray. Oh, my God. Mm, yeah. Yes. I, I don't know how they did them back then, because hairspray wasn't invented in, what, late 50s or early 60s. They didn't... Maybe they used that hair grease, like what the guys did. Pomade. Maybe the wax, the hair Pomade wax. Or, yeah. yeah. It's a good question. It is a good question, because, oh, yeah. This was probably my last hurrah for this kind of role because you, I mean, at 69, you don't get to play the sexy vamp very often. (laughs) (laughs) The last performance, we had one of those things happen on stage that you could not, you couldn't replicate it if you wanted to, which is a shame because we were all just dying. There's a scene where the hotel manager is trying to prevent the bellhop from saying something and spilling the beans in front of one diva that the other one's also in this suite. And he grabs them and just throws them out the door and the bellhop slams up against the outside wall and just slides down. And he's lying there unconscious in the hallway for like the next 20 pages. <laughs> People are always coming in. Do you know there's a bellhop line? Yes, I know. Okay. <laughs> but what he on the last performance, he threw him out the door and he had one of those little round pillbox bellhop hats on mm-hmm. and the hat fell off him and rolled back in through the door <laughs> and across the platform just i mean and just rolling slowly just like <laughs> all the way to the edge of the platform the girl who played my assistant and i were both i was literally biting my tongue not to break character and laugh and she's like just and she managed not to laugh and the hat finally stopped and the guy playing the manager just picked it up walked out through the hallway door set it down on top of the bellhop's body and then he and the other girl just closed the doors on him (laughs) and it's too bad you couldn't open this thing about these candies because they're freaking weird some of them i've heard of 
some of them are weird. Like breast milk ice cream. Oh, yes, 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 yes. This time it opened. Did it? Every other time I tried, it would say content not available. Sweets from around the world. Yeah, chicken dessert pudding yeah. looks disgusting. Yeah. Yeah, that one looks disgusting. And of course, there's the old staple, the lollipop with the worm in it. God, those have been around forever. Creamy corn candy. Bonnie's favorite. Ugh, that sounded disgusting. I saw that one. (laughs) Okay, so the chicken-shaped lollipops, since they turn out to be pineapple-flavored, might be all right. Yeah, those would be all right because they're just... Why why would you want to shape something like a chicken that's a sucker? Well, why would you want a sucker that tastes like chicken? Well, you wouldn't. Chicken, it looks like chicken gravy. Why would you want a freaking gravy-tasting sucker? That's disgusting. Shrimp and bananas. Shrimp and bananas? I don't think it actually tastes like shrimp. I think it's like... Okay, the shrimp-shaped ones are strawberry. So it's really strawberry and bananas. Yeah. Fried octopus drops. Right, that's what I want to do is suck on some candy that tastes like an octopus. Wait, I am confused. Every bite contains both the fruity flavor of a banana and the tangy strawberry flavor of the shrimp-shaped candies. Thank goodness they taste like shrimp. Yeah, I think that's a typo. I've found a couple other typos in this article, too. (laughs) People just don't proofread like they do. I find typos all the time when I'm reading articles online. Above all of the other ones, this is a cookie from Japan that's called the F cup. And in the cookie, it has a, a dose of miroesterol, which basically is marketed as a breast enhancing treat. So you can eat supposed to make your boobs bigger. You can eat your way to bigger boobies. Did you see this one that looks like a little toilet that you're supposed to slurp the candy out of it? Supposed to like foaming, foaming toilet, toilet. foaming toilet candy. That's Japanese as well. I'm a little bit worried about people in Japan. They've got some strange ideas. Here's one that made me think of you. It's chocolate covered licorice. You know, that's really good. My, my friend from New Zealand sent some chocolate covered licorice drops like it's black licorice covered in dark chocolate Um, you wouldn't think that would work but it does if you like black licorice that is some people just threw up in their mouth while they're listening to this but yeah (laughs) it's really good i would suck the chocolate off and then spit the licorice out. (laughs) (laughs) burger drop candies candy that tastes like uh cheeseburgers holy shit it really tastes like cheeseburgers yeah, yeah, that's what it says. It says uh, uh, the burger drops taste like an overcooked burger, like the ones you'd find at a high school cafeteria. So they taste like cafeteria burgers. Oh, my Little cafeteria burgers. God, as if that wasn't traumatizing enough that we had to eat that. Now they're giving it to us in candy form. So is it sweet or is it savory? Okay. It's a hard candy that tastes like beef, cheese, and various condiments. Just going to be as bad as those Thanksgiving dinner in a soda packs. But the candied baby crabs sound pretty disgusting. Really? Because I thought they kind of sounded good. I I totally (laughs) looked at that and I was like, oh my God, it's a meaty treat. I bet Vonnie would go in for that. (laughs) Right? They sound, actually, I would try them. It's by... Those minky binkies look kind of good, too. Yes, they Chewy do. Chewy toffee outer shell with an inner jelly filling. I'd eat that. It looks disgusting. What? I mean, no more it's... more so than like a chocolate-covered cherry. Uh, yeah, that's fair, I guess. It's just instead of being covered in chocolate, it's covered with it's caramel. It's a toffee. So if it's a toffee, does that mean it's hard? And when you crunch into it and then it spurts goo into your mouth, that's disgusting. If it was soft. Well, we all know how you feel about things spurting in your mouth, but I'm yeah, okay with it. Now, if Megan... like a reasonable description of oral sex. Now, though, but... if Megan was here, she would really be blushing her whole head off. Yes, she would. Well, yeah. I mean, they do have this. The, I don't uh, mind things candy. that spurt in my mouth, but I want to be, I want to expect it. I don't want to. Get... Well, you would expect it when you bit it. Well, not if you I didn't know what it was. You would know what you were was. getting into when you put it in your mouth. 
Another Japanese one. Lamb curry caramels. Curry flavored. Wasabi flavored Kit Kats. <laughs> First of all. I mean, all, I like wasabi. Weird. These are all Japanese. I, okay. Japan is clearly not the place for my very American taste buds. Same. <laughs> Same. I'm totally worried about this. Ass with ears gummies. Oh, from that's Germany. And, and that's definitely an ass, like a butt. Yeah, that's a yeah. butt. It's a butt with ears. A butt with ears. I wonder if they sell those at World Market. That'd be great for a stocking stuffer. Ger I wonder if Germany. what they taste like. Just gummies, I bet. Do they taste like ass? <laughs> Here, crunch on this ass. Are they Haribo? What they did you are. get for Christmas? I got some ass in my stocking, man, and it was delicious. <laughs> oh, so, but it tastes like your grandma's reminded me of our old discussions about um, about beaver butts. And and vanilla being oh, made from yes, vanillin, yeah. anus glands, which on my way home today, I heard there's a story on the news. It was some big name football star, some guy who's not like Bo Jackson or something like that. And he's had the hiccups for better than a year. And they were trying to cure him by having him sniff some animal's butt. What? Yeah. I, I okay. I've got to search this now and real quick and and see. Pro football player hiccups year animal butt. Let's see what kind of search that gets me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, there we go. Bo Jackson tried to cure his year long hiccups by sniffing a porcupine's butt. That. <laughs> Uh, okay, there's something wrong with that on several levels. First of all, <laughs> first of all, who holds the porcupine? <laughs> Second of all, who came up with the idea that that might actually cure the hiccups? Yeah, this is one of those those sentences that goes from normal to abnormal real quickly. It's a quote. It says, I've done everything. Scare me, drink water upside down, smell the ass of a porcupine. It doesn't work. Okay, those first two, pretty standard. But smell the ass of a porcupine. But, but you wonder if was there no interim step between drink water hanging upside down and smell the ass of a porcupine? <laughs> Next time I get the hiccups, I'm going to the zoo. <laughs> Will you come bail me out of jail, Martha, when I get arrested for being in the porcupine? I, I can just see habit. the charge now. Local book girl arrested <laughs> after maneuvering a porcupine into a compromising position she says it was to cure her hiccups but we have questions <laughs> <laughs> all right now that we've had this very productive discussion about disgusting foods <laughs> let's transition to some some bookage well, the reason why I'm probably all about food this week is because my book is called The Kitchen House by Kathleen Grissom. But sadly, it's not about food. Sorry, guys. Damn it. Because that just would not be sad enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly. So um, this book takes place, or I should say starts, because it's like almost the span of somebody's entire lifetime the main characters in the late 1700s. And there is a little girl named Lavinia who is on a ship coming from Ireland. It never really says, but I'm going to guess that she's probably either third class or stewage because her parents die and her and her brother obviously have no way to pay for their passage. So they have to go into, what do they call it? Like indentured service yeah. mm -hmm. because they have to pay for their ticket. So the captain of the ship takes Lavinia, who at the time is only seven years old, to work at his plantation to work off her passage on the ship. And um, he has slaves who work for him and Lavinia 
is basically raised by the slaves and shown how to work in the kitchen house. And that's her job is to work in the kitchen house when she's very, when she's from the time she's seven years old. So she basically grows up with her substitute parents being um, the, I can't remember her real name, but because she, she calls her mama, um, who is like the mama of a lot of the other slaves, and her papa, George, who's married to mama. And so she grows up, and these are her playmates. These are the people who she confides in, the people she works with every day. The pe- you know, it's everybody. It's her whole world. And then when she gets older, because, um, of course, she's white and not black, um, they move her to help take care of the captain's wife, whose name is Martha. And Martha's not quite right in the head. She has a lot of issues. She takes laudanum, which, uh, and I actually didn't realize it until I read this book, which is basically just opium. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't, mm-hmm. I actually didn't know that. That's something I learned in this book. And I don't know if it's because she's taken it for so many years or what, but she's not quite all there in her head. She she has some kind of, of mental disease, but it's never really explained exactly what it is. So this book is basically just about her life um, growing up in the kitchen house and the people who she's closest to. Uh, the The girl who watched out for her and taught her everything and shared quarters with her is actually the captain's daughter. But a lot of people don't know that. And um, so the captain favors her a lot and teaches her how to like read and write and promises to give her her freedom papers so that she can go up north and be a freed slave. But then things happen. I don't know if this would be too much of a spoiler because it's like, I'm just going to say things happen and she doesn't get the papers and the son of the captain, the son who's the son is Martha and the captain's son. I can't remember his name. He ends up taking over and running the farm. And after he takes over the farm, things take a very dark, drastic turn He himself has issues. He has problems with drinking and gambling and violence. And he's not nice to the slaves at all. And it it just kind of goes from there. It escalates. It, It was a really good book. It was interesting to see Lavinia's struggle with trying to accept. Actually, she never accepted the fact that these people that she loved and spent all of her time with and worked with when she was little up to a certain age, all of a sudden she had to act like they were different than her and which she didn't see at all. Because I mean, that'd be like saying, yeah, this was your family for, 12 years, but now you're not allowed to care for them anymore. It just doesn't happen. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. It was a good book. There's a couple little twists and turns. Livinia is very naive to the real world. Um, so she makes mistakes as she gets older and is trying to live in the white man's world. It was a good book. I, and I usually don't like books about slavery, but this one was very well written it really showed how slaves were treated, even when they weren't treated outrightly with cruelty, even mm-hmm. when they're not just blatantly abused and treated cruelly, there was always a difference. There was always, I don't know how to explain it, but there was always a difference. And this really kind of shows that difference 
and shows how very not right it was to tell you the truth because i mean lavinia is stuck in between these two worlds and she doesn't understand why there has to be a difference and i really like that about this book i think i did the audio and i want to say it was like 13 hours and i read it probably in about three days so i read it fairly quickly and I would definitely recommend it to somebody. That's it. The Kitchen House by Kathleen Grissom. Very good. Sounds freaking sad. It has a lot of sad moments. Um, of course, you know, you're talking about slaves and slave owners. So there's some rape and sexual abuse. So I guess that, that would need to be like a uh, trigger warning. And, you know, violence obviously, because white people suck <laughs> at the time. We really did. Yes, we did. Holy crap. The reason why I don't really like and read a lot of books about slavery is just because it just, they seem so indifferent in the books on the feelings towards slavery, which is so wrong. And this book wasn't like that. So it was awesome. All right. You know. Other than all the sadness, other than it the, was a great book. Other than the soul crushing horror, it was pretty good. <laughs> well, you know, I like those kind of emotional roller coasters in my books. I'm just messing with you. <laughs> Speaking of emotional roller coasters, holy fuck! I sat on my couch and cried for like three hours, four hours last night. There's this show on HBO called. I saw your post about something like somebody, something, somehow. Yeah, it's like a weird fucking, hold on, I gotta look. I've never heard of it before. Well, I had heard of it because people were talking about it being a sleeper hit. And so I thought, oh, we'll have a look at that. It's called Somebody Somewhere. Mm -hmm. And it takes place in this small town in Kansas. And it's about this girl who comes home to take care of her sister. And her sister, when they begin the story, has died. And it's the story about this girl basically coming back to her hometown and trying to recover, I guess. And she ends up mm. running into this guy who was in show choir with her, who she doesn't remember. And then they strike up a friendship. And it's it really kind of focuses around the friendship, which is one of the reasons that I kept watching it. Because it's just so cool. Such a cool friendship. And I love shows that have real people in them. People who look like they're real people. You know, so they have weird faces and crooked teeth and, you know, like like normal everyday people. It, it really reminded me a lot of some of the friendships that I have become a part of over the years. Maybe that's why I liked it so much. You should watch it, Bonnie. Do you have HBO? I can't hear you. Do you have HBO? No, I don't. I don't have HBO anymore. God damn it. Such a good show. But I hate it because it makes me cry. And I sat on my couch and cried. For What's the show called? Somebody Somewhere. Huh? Somebody Somewhere. Oh. The main character is a plus size woman. She has huge boobs. I've heard of that. So good. And it seemed like it was like sad. It so. is sad, but it's so good. Can my you believe movie, my, my book tastes and my TV tastes are completely different. I usually watch comedies or documentaries on TV, on TV, but I want something soul crushingly sad when I read a book. What is that about? I don't know. Well, I'm definitely mad that I ended up liking it because now I'm sucked into the story <laughs> and now I have to go watch it again and cry some more I hate to cry god damn it so don't watch it I have to <laughs> sometimes it's good to watch it and so that you can get your crying out alone in your living room well I did just you know have two funerals in a very short period of time maybe I just needed a cry you never know very maybe. true yeah when I was pregnant, I used to watch this one movie and I watched it like three times when I was pregnant. I don't know why I did it, but it's called When a Man Loves a Woman oh, and yeah. it has Meg Ryan in it. 
and that movie makes me ball like a baby and i kept watching it when i was pregnant just because i don't know and just cry through the whole movie because when you're pregnant you cry anyways <laughs> well but I, only when i, I would was never like know alone that. i would never know that pat would never know that no. Oh, sorry. <laughs> well, let me tell you, your emotions are such a mess when you're pregnant. I would cry at Hallmark commercials. You know the Folgers commercials where oh yeah, where the, the, the brother or something would would come in the middle of the night. Though uh -huh. I would cry at those. Dude, I cried at those. You don't have to be pregnant to cry at those. <laughs> All right. You're talking to me. I'm more of a tin man than you are. Oh, I don't know Sometimes. about that. Pat, you got anything that is not sad in your book? Well, my book, I have a good kind of, it's tough to say exactly. It's not supernatural, but it's not exactly natural either. It's okay. a thriller. Oh. It's oh. called, it is called The Anomaly by Michael Rutger. Okay. And it is built around... I was just now looking up on my phone to see if there was any truth to this central piece of legend that it's built around. And apparently it does ex exist. They make reference to a past exploration in the Grand Canyon that uncovered a cave. And this guy supposedly found all kinds of amazing things. And he described it as like Egyptian mummy type treasures and gold and all sorts of stuff. Hmm. And apparently there actually was a report made by somebody named Kincaid to the Smithsonian claiming this stuff. And I haven't read deeply enough. I suspect that it's really all part of some hoax, but there was the report made. This guy Kincaid filed a report with the Smithsonian. So in the book, the main characters in the book are a group of people who are doing a YouTube type show and hoping that they can get picked up by a cable company to so that they have a slightly more real quote unquote show. And their show is kind of like a cross between unsolved mysteries and that one that Leonard Nimoy used to host where they look at mysteries oh, of the Oh yeah, world. I remember I that. I can't remember what it was called. Anyway, they go digging into mysteries from the past and so far, they've never turned up anything really very earth-shaking. Their goal is to check out this cave that was supposedly reported, and the Smithsonian kind of has buried this report, they say, in, in its archives and basements, so that because there's something in there, something they don't want the public to know about. So this group goes out, and the group consists of the, the guy who is the archaeologist slash host of the show, the producer who was behind the whole thing, the sort of operations manager, the woman who makes all the facilities arrangements and hires people when they need to hire people and does all of the legwork as far as logistics is concerned, and the cameraman. So they have their crew of four that has always, that's been working together for quite some time, plus a reporter who's coming along to observe this and write an article about their YouTube show and a woman who represents a foundation that has given them some funding that's enabling them to make this particular trip and search for the cave. So there are six of them all together and they go down the Grand Canyon and they're not, of course, at first not finding it. The reports of where it is are sketchy and there's uh, rumors that Kincaid, who wrote the original report, may have lied on his report about exactly where the cave is to prevent anyone else from finding it. So they're about, of course, to give up when somebody spots a little opening high up on a canyon wall and they find it. They go crawling up into the cave. And once they get inside, again, at first, they don't seem to find anything very interesting. And I'll just take you a little ways into the plot because at, at a point very quickly here, spoilers are going to become a problem. But they get into the cave, they find uh, a chimney type opening, a, a vertical stone opening in the back of the cave. They climb up in and it's got handholds cut into it. It's like a ladder. So they climb up there and they get into an extensive cavern system 
which is there are some natural carvings, but it's mostly been carved out. It's it's squared off rooms and square hallways. And not long after they get in there, I'll tell you two things. One is clearly borrowed from the movies and they acknowledge it in there. They, they're, I mean, the author is like, where do you see this happen except an Indiana Jones movie? Because a giant stone orb goes rolling down a hallway and and it's not the problem is not that it threatens to run over one of them like it did over Indiana Jones. The problem is it cuts them off from their exit. Oh. And there's not a way to move it. And also fairly soon after they get in there, it becomes evident that someone in their party has some kind of a more knowledge than they pretend to have, and B an an ulterior motive at work. <laughs> so I will just say that much about the plot because anything else is is going to be a spoiler. They find some very interesting, very scary things. You have to you have to credit a sort of a sci-fi element to to the whole thing. What they find is not just normal stuff or not just, oh, someone turns out to be a serial killer. There's definitely an a paranormal or sci-fi kind of component to what they find. But what for me made this book really good, besides the whole, the, the idea behind it, I found even not so interesting as the characters. The characters are very human. They're, they have multiple sides. The, uh, the host of the show is very much aware of and upfront about the fact that he really doesn't know that much about archaeology. He's trying to be a TV host. He's He doesn't want to lead people astray, but he's also sort of desperate to break into show business. And so he's willing to do whatever he can. Um, the producer is an older guy who's got some some foibles and some flaws, but also turns out to have some some positive qualities. The cameraman, Pierre, as they say, first of all, his name is Pierre and he has not an ounce, not a gram of French blood in him. He's just- His parents just, just thought it was a good name. His parents thought it was a good name and he's dashing and handsome and athletic and, and uh, uh, Nolan is the, the name of the guy, the archaeologist who's the host. And you see it from his point of view. And at first, he's pretty dismissive of Pierre, but through several points in the book, he finds himself reevaluating. He says, you know, I try to not like this guy, but he's a hard worker and he knows his stuff. And he's just the fact that he's young and handsome and cameraman and Mr. I'm buff, uh, in spite of all that, He's really a valuable hand and he's good to have around. And so there are well-drawn characters. And that's really what makes this, for me, a pretty interesting story. Because you find out at the end, whether you choose to buy into the sci-fi premise behind it or not, was really, I think, of secondary importance. It's that it's a well-done adventure story and you start finding yourself invested in these people and how they are each dealing with a very difficult circumstance, not the least of which is being in a cave, which is so dark that you never get used to the dark. You just can't see anything if you don't have a source of light. And their source of light is one of the first things as they realize that will run out. Mm -hmm. So that is The Anomaly by Michael Rutger. And make a note of the author's name because as I found out when I went to look it up, there are a lot of books out there called The Anomaly. <laughs> And in episode 341, I reviewed a book called The Anomaly, which is not the same book. Yep. I, I looked yeah. it up to be sure we were yep. talking about different ones. And I've read that book. I read it back in 2019. I don't remember having read it. I didn't review it. Oh, you read the one I read? Yeah. Ah. I liked it. I gave it four mm -hmm. stars. So I just don't remember course 2019 I was I don't know why I think I might have read it during um during horror season but I didn't uh, review it during that time because I had other 
ones that I was reviewing, I guess. I don't remember. All right. Guess it is time for me to give you my take on things. I think somebody in one of the calls must have talked about this. Because I remember, it must have been Donna. It's called... Don't Nobody Give a Shit What Happened to Carlotta by James Hanaham. Maybe, I don't know who it was. Somebody recommended this it book. It does sound vaguely familiar. Yeah. The main character, she's a trans woman and she has just been released from prison. So she's been in jail for 20 years. But what you also found find out rather quickly is that she's been in a men's prison. For all of that time because of who she was she got brutalized and beat very frequently when she first went into prison and because of that she spent most of her time in solitary confinement for her own mm. safety of course but it's still I mean you go a little crazy in there 23 hours a day in a cell by yourself with no one to talk to except for the prison guard who comes in and rapes you and tells you that it's your fault that he's raping you. So it, it's very, very brutal. It, this is not the kind of book that you want to read if you're squeamish about that sort of thing. Because she's remembering these things as you go along. She's remembering all the horrible things that happened to her while she was in prison. But the reason that I was attracted to this book is because of the humor and the absolutely delightful voice of Carlotta Mercedes, which is her chosen name. So she gets out of prison and immediately goes back to the house where she grew up, which is a brownstone in New York. And her entire extended family lives there. So all the way at the top is her brother. Yeah. Her brother, who is, he basically hasn't left the house in 15 years. And he weighs about 400 pounds or more. And he just sits up there and plays video games all the time. So that's him. And then the rest of the family, you get a little glimpse at everyone as time goes by. But the thing that, like when she first gets there, she thinks that they're throwing a party for her. When it turns out, it's actually her niece's birthday. So they're throwing this big party for the niece's birthday. Well, when she went into prison, she wasn't, she hadn't embraced her, her true self yet. So she was still a man at that point. So when she comes out of prison, even though she had written to them over the years to let, let them know what, what was going on with her, a lot of them don't recognize her. Because she's dressed as a woman. So it's just really hard. I mean, the whole thing is just so sad. But at the same time, she's got a constant running commentary where she's talking to herself this whole time. And it was absolutely a fascinating look at what, it, what it's like to get out of prison after 20 years, for starters. I mean, she has to go see her probation officer. and The pro probation office has moved and she's trying to find it to, so she can be on time. And of course, she really just doesn't have any kind of frame of reference for where she's even at because it's been 20 years and everything has changed. And she doesn't know about cell phones, for example, because she's been in prison the whole time. So you see a lot of things through her eyes that are really, it's just a point of view that you don't often get to read about. And the way it was written about made it so accessible because through the, her humor, you get to see the horrific side of her incarceration, but yet her attitude is so positive. One of, the, one of my favorite scenes was she's going to a job interview. They've given her this, when she went to her probation officer, they've given her this lead for a job. And it's to drive a vehicle, but she doesn't have a driver's license. She's, and so she lies about that. 
But she's thinking in her head this whole time that if she's dressed well enough, it won't matter. And she walks by this really fancy shoe store. I mean, super upscale shoe store. So this pair of shoes is like $250 a shoe. And she's standing in there talking to them and she tries the shoe on and it's really beautiful. And she's going on and on about the shoe. Well, she just steals the shoe. One shoe. And so she puts it on for the job interview and she's got one of her old prison shoes on and then she's got this beautiful strappy sandal on and she tries to position herself in such a way that you can't see her other shoe so that she can make a good impression when she goes for the job interview. And she walks around in two different shoes for a good portion of the novel. It's abs- she's absolutely a delightful character. She is, at, at first you don't, based on the accent, because I did listen to the audiobook, based on the accent, you think she is black. But yet at one point, you find out that she's Colombian. So I think she must have both. I think she's, she has both eth- ethnicities. Not that that really matters. It doesn't. But you, just based on the way she talks, you, you already kind of know that she's brown, just based on the clues that you get. I don't know if she's ever, I know that she says something about it later in the book, but I know that it doesn't come out right away. There's always a party at this house for something. And the second day she's there, they have a wake for one of her, her grandmother's friends. So there's people drinking everywhere. And she's supposed to be in a house where you don't drink because she's on probation. Even though when she went to jail, she didn't get in trouble for drinking. But what happened is she was going to the liquor store to buy a bottle of wine for her friend who's, who she was going over to dinner or something. But she runs into her cousin on the way and they walk in together well, her cousin ro- robs the liquor store. And of course, she's armed because everybody's armed there. So her conviction when she comes out, you know, one of the conditions of her parole is that she doesn't drink. Well, while she was in prison, she went to rehab just for something to do. So, you know, she, that, she has that one more hurdle to get across because here she is. This is where she lives. She doesn't really have a choice of where she goes because that's it and the second day she's there there's another party and there's booze everywhere and everybody's drinking because it's awake and the whole time she's got the running commentary going on in her head and she meets this guy there who's kind of chatting her up a little and he starts talking about his car right away so in her head she's like oh I'm gonna get a driving lesson out of this guy and it's just (laughs) It's like a comedy of errors. It is so unlikely the way things happen to her and the way she approaches all of these things that are happening. Honestly, this book was probably, if you're interested in reading about somebody who's been incarcerated, but yet comes out with an attitude that is just unbelievable. And, but it's funny. It's such a funny novel, but yet so sad. So it's just an enigma all the way around. And I absolutely loved it. I gave it a five star, which I haven't really done in a while. But I I would highly recommend this book. Definitely get the audio because it has such a great voice. I loved Carlotta Mercedes from her head to her feet, even if she only had one shoe on. It was so good. Didn't nobody give a shit what happened to Carlotta by James Hanaham. You know, that almost sounds like a Jamie book. Do you think Jamie read it? Maybe. It had to have been one of the Patreon members when we did our Patreon call. It Mm. it was a recent thing that I put, because I put it on hold as soon as I heard them talking about it. When you started talking about a Donna book, I was like, man, she's not going to review the one that I just read. That's a Donna book, is it? (laughs) Is she? (laughs) Which one? Which one did you just read? Uh, It Tastes Like War. Oh, no, that's not me. Well, I didn't think so, but, you know, sometimes I just don't know about you. I know. I'm pretty. Say you're I'm... all cold and tin manny, and then you read something like uh, 
that A.J. Hickory book. Thickory, yes, I know. Every once in a while, I do veer into the... Or you read, like, The Book Thief, which is completely historical fiction. Yeah, I know. I'm an unlikely reader. I tend to flit from one thing to another. But if if there's even a whiff of romance, I'm out. And that would be that was, most of the time. Besides the mispronounced town name, that was what put me off the other book I read this week, which... I will never review and we will leave nameless, but it was <laughs> it was another one of those books where where it's it's something in this case it was a psychological thriller, but what it really was was romance disguised as a psychological thriller. Oh, I hate that. And really, yeah. really cheesily written romance too. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm not I'm not about that. I th- well, that was just a teaser about the taste like works. I'll probably review that next week. Well, I won't be here for that. Oh, wait. Yes, I will. I'll be here for one more week. Will I? I was going to say. Wait. Next when, week. When do you leave? Weekend. Oh, I'll be here Memorial Day weekend. It's the following week I'll be gone. Yeah, I need a schedule of when you're going to be gone so I can make sure that. Well, if you I can had make it out the there. calendar. <clears throat> <clears throat> If you had the calendar, you would know that, Bonnie. That calendar just didn't work for me, man. God. I need notifications coming straight to my phone. Hey, Martha's not going to be here. Hey, Bonnie. Martha's not going to be here on June 3rd or June 10th. Did you see that thing I, I tagged you in on Facebook for for? Good expressions to refer to assholes. A friend of mine out here was visiting in New York, and I guess there was a march. They had a bunch of neo-Nazis who were marching and being all, you know, and she posted someone else. She reposted someone else's post about that that referred to them as this bunch of slapdick chuckle fucks. (laughs) (laughs) Slapdick chuckle. That's hard to say. Slapdick chuckle fucks. And then it made me think, it was like, what was that phrase from Shakespeare for Squirrels, that Christopher Moore book? And there was some great, fairly obscene insult like that. And I couldn't, I've Hold on. been trying to remember what it was and I can't remember Google, it. Google, what is the swear word from Christopher Moore's Shakespeare with Squirrels? It was, I remember it was like a two word phrase. It was something like that, slapdick chuckle fucks or something that. God, that's hilarious. I, I love collecting new swears. That's my, like one of my favorite sports. Slap dick chuckle fuck. I, I think I'd probably get punched if I used that word like out loud at anybody. <laughs> yeah, don't use it on the air. <laughs> yeah, I think we, we pretty, pretty much have guaranteed that I can't do anything like that. I can't afford the FCC fine. So like yeah. It's like $100,000 for an F word on the if you do it on the air, you can do it on a podcast all day long, but put it on the air and you are in trouble. Yep. I love it. I, I remember when we talked about it, when, when I reviewed that book and, and you were. My problem like, is I have such a shitty memory. So I, I hear all these funny yeah. things and I just don't retain them. But in, in some ways, that's great, you guys, to have a shitty memory. Because each and every time you hear something like that again, it's like the first time. Because you forgot yeah. about it already. Because my mind just doesn't hang on to stuff like that. Chit Ron can quote from funny movies he's seen mm-hmm. and get it right every time. Or jokes somebody has told him. He remembers all that stuff. I, don't, I just can't remember it. Do you think that's Alzheimer's or is that just something? Because I've never been able to remember stuff like that. I can can remember stuff sometimes, but usually when I remember movies, it's because it's a movie I've watched more than one time. Mm. I mean, how many times have I watched? (sighs) Fuck. What's that movie? (laughs) What the Knights of the Knights of Nick? What oh, oh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Yeah, how many times have I watched Monty Python? Probably a few. Should I remember the freaking phrases before I remember the name of the freaking movie? 
not coming up in any of these online collections of snappy quotes from Christopher Moore. So, Yeah, I can't find it either. Although I do kind of like this other one about blessed are the dumb fucks. <laughs> blessed are the dumb fucks because they shall what? Yeah, it, it doesn't go on. It just says blessed are the dumb fucks. They certainly have inherited the earth, that's for sure. Yeah, no shit. Here is a list. Fucking useless knob jockey. Cunty bollocks. Shit for brains, dickwad. Jesus titty fucking Christ. Arse biscuit. Cuntstruck. Fuckwit. Cockwobble. Oh, it was, cock, it was something fuckwit. It was a, it was a fill in the blank. Fuck stockings. Fuckwit. No, it was fuckwit. I'm oh, pretty sure. Okay, was, okay. But there was a word before it and I can't. Cunt muffin. <laughs> I've heard twat waffle, but I... not cunt, mu- cunt muffin. Hoof wanking thunder cunt. <laughs> God. I've heard thunder cunt before. In fact, I've used thunder cunt. These are before. all British ones. It was just one of those delightful turns of phrase that I can't remember anymore. I'm looking at uh, Christopher Moore quotes, and this one is I love you above all things, even pie. No! <laughs> <laughs> Although I have been for love needs to love needs room to grow like a rose or a tumor. (laughs) (laughs) That's Christopher Moore. All right. (laughs) Those are both from the pool. Have you ever read the fool? Uh huh. By Christopher Moore. Oh, you should read it, Pat. It's freaking hilarious. It's one. I like that one. Christopher Moore. I I enjoyed the Shakespeare ones. Like I, I do need to read some i was cleaning my library up the other day and it's like my to be read shelf is so packed and stuff <laughs> stacked on top of stuff and wedged in here and there and it's like he's a good one to read like if you need something light like well, i was to break gonna su- out of the monotony i was gonna suggest she read a dirty job oh yeah i loved that one too all right we're just need to put a bow on it don't be a slapdick chuckle fuck. Join our Patreon page. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's a good way to end. Come on, Patreoners. Don't be a slapdick what? <laughs> chuckle fuck. <laughs> chuckle fuck. All the best people are there. All righty then. I guess we're done for this day, and that's going to do it for... Three Book Girls. Can't get enough of Three Book Girls? Check them out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Follow them on TikTok, YouTube, and check out their website at threebookgirls.com. And join the group Three Book Girls Tribe on Facebook. If you really love them, share the podcast with a friend or join them at one of their live events. Three Book Girls, a Steel Trap production.